Oh, we're having a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun. I tell you, the, um, you know, the, that uh, two-hand duet up here, uh, Beth and Teresa, aren't we blessed? I was watching them, you know, a couple years ago, Bob was sick, and I went to Teresa, and I said, tell you what, why don't we get a song together? We'll play it together on the piano when he gets back. She goes, well, that'd be a great idea. He would really like that. I said, well, what can you play? And she said, well, anything with music. What can you play? And I said, well, chopsticks. And... Um, <laughs> So I haven't finished practicing yet uh, to get that song ready for Bob, but I'm sure it'll be a blessing. If you weren't here last week, we started our Inspired series, and it's inspired because we believe God is leading us from dust to, to glory. We handed these out to everybody, about 110 pages, 103 pages, I don't know, what's the last page? 103. So if you don't have one, they're going to hand them out to you right now. Would you just raise your hand? They'll bring one to you. In fact, you also have armbands. I, I have a couple extras right here. Who needs an armband? Did you get one of those? You need one of those too? Would you like my other one? Here, here. Well, I'll give you another one. Catch it on fire this week. <laughs> All righty, and turn in your Bibles with me while they're getting those out to Genesis 15, please. Genesis 15. We're going to be uh, looking at this together. And... Uh, you know, last week we started at what we consider a spiritual journey. It's spiritual because God is our leader, and God is a spirit, and those who worship him will do so in spirit and in truth. And it's a journey because God wants to move us. He loves us as we are, but he doesn't leave us where we are. He's on the move. He's got a plan for the world, for us, for our church, for us to be a blessing to this world. And we've been asking this question for over 15 years. What's the maximum ministry we can do here on the six-acre campus? I don't know if you can tell, but you, could, you don't, might not know the whole story, but you could guess that, you know, most churches don't hang out in these kind of digs. And, and it's only because it was a gift from God. And I always figure, you know, pressure, pressure's off the preacher because people come to church to be inspired. And you can do that just looking out the window. So even if I'm boring, you know, you can still leave church inspired and uh, hopefully we'll get you into God's Word. But for 12 years we've been saying, what's the maximum ministry we could do on this hill for the Lord? And our master plan is the answer, and our city fathers have voted 5-0 in favor of it. And uh, so uh, we're looking to say, okay, then how do, we, how do we, if the Lord is leading this direction, and I believe that he is, how do we get our plans in order? How do we get the money gathered? How do we take a big step forward? Because it's going to enhance our ministry with the little partners in the preschool and the children and the youth and the adults and all of us in our Bible studies, our growth groups, our Sunday schools, everyone will be blessed. So we just need to do some fundraising and some construction and get on with it. And I need your help. You know, every one of us, we hear something like this and we think, what's it going to cost me? And um, I love it when this book came out last week, hadn't even been out 24 hours, and somebody emailed into the church, there's a typo on page 83. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I said, send back and say, there's another one. Please find it. You know, and <laughs> I'm sure there's a second one in the book somewhere. And then somebody else pointed out, it was kind of funny, it was the same page. They said, page 83 is the very best page in the whole book. I said, really? I said, so I'd already read the whole book, but I said, I got to go find what's on page 83. And if you've got a book, of course, you can look it up, but it's the vision and values of South Shores, that God would be honored here and worshiped among us, that God would continue to use us together to touch and transform lost and hurting people, that we would be diligent in our efforts to touch neighborhoods and nations, that caring, healing, equipping, sending, and relationships would be the focus of our engagement with others in and outside of the church, and goes on and talks about our unity and about bringing people who are far from God. So I thought the best page was really page 15. 
Because there's a prayer at the bottom of it that I hope we, we each get to the point of seriously praying this prayer and listening to God's voice. You could circle it if you want. The prayer is, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? God, how do you want to use me? And, you know, if you want to ask questions, we had somebody who said, okay, you said ask questions. Here's my question. So if you would like me or one of the other uh, uh, staff uh, or people who've been working on this project to come into your small group or to your Sunday school class or your home or go out to lunch or just to sit and uh, talk in the, in the church office, please invite because I'm not going to force my way in, but I would love to come and sit down with you just to answer questions and a promise. I won't bite. And, um, you know, we're just, uh, we're, uh, we're all, I'm wanting every one of us asking that question, God, how do you want to use me? And then grow in our faith. When we hear God's answer, I mean, I think it's, we're listening. we need to all just listen to God's voice and we all start with resistance. But what I need is my closest thousand friends to be all as generous as they've ever been all at the same time to see God's work be done in this. And um, then, uh, you know, on our campus today, you're going to see the art from the children, children of our church. And what will our church be like when these children have children of their own? So we need to sacrifice today for our church to be strong tomorrow. Somebody sacrificed for you, and that's why we're blessed to be in this space today. What we believe God is giving us is a great, big, God-sized, inspired vision and realize God wants to partner with us. I mean, it's humbling. He could do it all without us. But he wants to include us. And so it's kind of a bit scary because it's also God-sized. It's impossible to do on our own. It raises lots of questions. It also puts you on your knees in prayer to say, God, are you serious? How would we ever do that? And you look in the Bible, and we're going to study just alongside of one average Joe who turned hero in the Bible as our example. is named Abraham in Genesis 15. In Genesis 12, he basically hears God say, Abraham, do this, and go here. And it says, and Abraham went, and he went. And it was considered as righteousness because he heard God's voice and he obeyed God in faith. And in between those two memorable events of God speaking and Abraham obeying, there's a whole lot of similar uh, but smaller stories and details like God giving promises to Abraham. Say, Abraham, obey me and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do miracles in your life. We're going to give you and your wife a baby. Now, she was 65, he was 75 when the promise was first given to them, and they believed God and still followed God, and it said, your family's going to grow like, it'll be like the sand on the seashore. You won't be able to count everybody, and you'll be a blessing to the whole world, and I'm going to give you a land. And, and sometimes when you hear the voice of God, besides being inspired, you're overwhelmed. Did I hear God correctly? Was it something I ate? You know, am I willing to follow God into the impossible? What is it going to cost me? How will God accomplish that? And I know we have some of those kind of questions here of saying, God, what is it going to cost me? Are you can't, I can't believe you're asking that of me. But this campus is simply a tool in God's hands. And we want to get it ready to do a better job to win people to Jesus now and into the long-term future until Jesus returns. And it will take time and effort and heroic generosity. And it, it will take miracles. It could be overwhelming. So let's do what Abraham did. He heard the voice of God. He obeyed. And he also was willing to pray fervently and to talk to God. And Abraham bought into God's vision. He was all in. In fact, that's the title the youth are uh, looking at the same material under, all in. 
and he can't conceive. God, how's that going to happen? So he turns to God in prayer, and he listens to God, and he believes, even though he still doesn't know how. God demonstrates, I'm not telling you all the particulars. Just trust me. See, and Abraham's in prayer. Prayer connects us to God. It connects us to the vision. In, in fact, in your bulletin, there's a little piece of paper looks like this. Can you find that piece of paper? This is for you to put a prayer on this piece of paper, something maybe that seems impossible that you say, God, use, use me, use this church to see this miracle happen. And we're going to take all of these, we're going to pray over them, and then we're going to, when we start the foundation, we can put these right down into the foundation to say, God, um, we're founding this on you and on your word and on prayer and on who you are. And we will bury these in the foundation as a remembrance of God's faithfulness. So put one together. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has anybody imagined the great things God is going to do in and through those and for those who love him. And when we left off last week, Abraham had heard God's call in Haran. It's, if you look up page, I think it's what, 19 is the map? I'm hoping you find your way around here. There's a prayer guide in here. Uh, there's one per day. There's a prayer walk that starts at the foot of the cross. I mean, I mean uh, you can go 10 stations around the campus. And if you look at page 19 at the map... Abraham was born way over here on the right-hand side, and his dad had headed them towards Canaan. I think hearing God's voice got kind of stalled up here in Haran and quit. And then God came to Abraham and said, come on, I got somewhere I want you to go, and took him all the way down here. And God was leading him. God showed him. He said, go where I'm going to tell you. Just follow me. So Abraham loaded everybody up, and he brought along his nephew whose dad had died, his, his brother's son. And the nephew was named Lot. But when they got to Canaan, they realized between Lot's uh, herds and, uh, and uh, cattle and Abraham's own herds and cattle, there wasn't enough food for all the, and water for all the animals. So he said to Lot, take your choice. And Lot chose the greener, more promising pastures and left Abraham the leftovers. And Abraham was visited by God once again. And God once again underlined promises of blessing. Now, I don't have time to tell you all the little stories in between, but read it. Starting in Genesis 11, you get about a famine came to the land, and Abraham went where God hadn't directed him. He, his faith wavered, so he headed down to Egypt thinking there'd be more food there, and he got himself into trouble telling a half-truth about his beautiful wife. And after the famine and failing the, uh, the um, Egypt, can I trust God in hungry times test, Abraham returned to Canaan where God had told him to be. And soon after that, his struggling family member, Lot, and of course, we all have one in our family. In fact, I think God must like irregular people because he sure made a lot of them. <laughs> but Lot was captured in a skirmish in a four-on-five. It wasn't basketball. It was four kings fighting against five kings and all their armies. And Lot was taken prisoner. And this caused a crisis. So Abraham rounded up, I think this is funny, he rounded up 318 fighting men from his own clan. I had no idea that three, I mean, think about it, 318 men brought their wives and their families along with Abraham. There had to be a couple thousand people that were traveling with him and his tribe. So he takes the fighting men, 318 of them, chases down the four on five, manages to defeat the four kings that are uh, against uh, the other armies, and then he brought Lot back and all the people and all the booty, uh, everything they had gotten in the fight, and they brought it all back. And on the way back, they ran into a, a king named Melchizedek. Melchizedek, not usually a, a, not an average name in America anymore, but he was king of Salem. Think Jerusalem. 
This was a thousand years before David was king in Jerusalem. It's 500 years before Moses was given the law. He runs into Melchizedek, who, if you want to do some extra study on it, look at Hebrews 7, talks a lot about Melchizedek. In fact, it claims that he was resembling the Son of God. You could get extra credit, I suppose, for studying it, but Abraham gave him a tithe of everything that they had collected in this war. Now, I mean, it's astounding that Abraham, before the law, before the kings, is on the spot where God's going to do some amazing things to this day, the city of Jerusalem. And he's practicing generosity with everything that the Lord's placed in his hands. So Abraham still has this nagging problem, though. He gets home from, from that, and, and God had said go, and he had gone, and God had promised him a child, and God had promised him a great land, and it happened, happened. And time was going by. In fact, it was slipping by, and he's wondering, how am I going to become a great nation if I can't even have a baby? And time is running out. In fact, time had run out. The Bible says at 65, Sarah was past the age of ability to have children. And Abraham can't see God's vision because he doesn't have any offspring. You can't have offspring like the dust of the earth if you don't have even one baby. You can't have a land to give to anybody to inherit. You can't bless the nations with your, your offspring if you don't have even one. Now, not too many of us have gotten this, these specific kind of promises from God for children or for a wife or a husband or anything like that. But when we don't get those things, we intend to blame God because we feel it's kind of owed to us. But here, Abraham, what does he do? He comes to God in prayer. He says, God, I heard your voice and I've obeyed you. But I'm praying now. You gave me some promises and I'm waiting to see them fulfilled. And time is going by. And Abraham talks to God and prayer keeps him connected to God and to God's vision. Now, this infertility is the kind of problem that can keep people awake at night, can put tears on your pillow. It can cause discord between a husband and a wife who've tried and tried and tried. And there's no baby and they've heard God's voice, and they've moved out in faith, and time goes by, and there's still no baby. And God's promise that your family's going to grow like, uh, and be like the sand on the seashore? Can you believe God? Can you believe God? When you have a promise from God, and it hasn't been fulfilled, and it seems like you have to wait extra long, can you still trust God? When what God says and the reality around you don't seem to match, can you still trust God? Abraham, you see, had heard God's voice. You're going to have a, 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 an heir. And so it didn't seem to be happening. So he thought of a plan. He actually thought of several plans, and most of them bad. In fact, some of them got him into a lot of trouble. And his first solution, his first solution when he was convinced making a baby was impossible was adopt. Adopt his favorite servant, Eliezer of Damascus, and name him as the heir. And so Abraham is praying to God, and it says in chapter 15 of Genesis, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And Abraham gets right to the point. God, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now, that wasn't God's plan. God underlined his promise again, but he doesn't provide Abraham a whole lot of details. Look at he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man is not going to be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he said, Go outside. It must have been nighttime. He said, Look at the heavens. Number the stars if you can. And he said, so shall your offspring be. 
And Abraham believed God. And it continued, it was counted to him as righteousness. See, in this instance, Abraham did the right thing. He heard God's voice. He had lots of questions. He'd moved forward in obedience and faith. And then he has a problem that God seems to be taking too long to answer. So he comes to God in prayer. Abraham centers his request for offspring on God. That's good. He's dependent on God for the solution because it's too big for him to overcome on his own. He can't solve this one. But then he confuses his timing with God's timing, and that's bad. Abraham's thinking, I heard God's voice. It should be happening now. And uh, God tells him, nothing new, by the way, just reassures him, I've got this under control. Just trust me. Then he has a second prayer. What about that land you promised? And in verse 7, it says, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldees. I didn't bring you just from Haran. I brought you from where you were born, Abraham, to give you a land to possess, this land. And he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half, and laid them half over against the other, half over here, half over there. But he didn't cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Abraham didn't know where that was. Where was it? In Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age, and they will come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. Abraham saying, how am I supposed to know? And God says, I'm God, and I said so. Stay patient. It'll happen in my timing. Abraham, God assures Abraham he is the Lord who's giving the land. He says, I am the Lord. I brought you from your birthplace, from Ur of the Chaldees. I'm giving you this land to possess. Abraham saying, how can I know for sure? And God's saying, you can base it on me. Abraham's wondering, do I have to fight all those Canaanites myself? And God's saying, I will take care of it. In fact, this ceremony, which also the splitting of animals and then two parties joining together to walk between them, also shows up in Jeremiah chapter 34 starting verse 18 it's an agreement between two parties and it basically says bad things happen if you break your word and usually both parties would join together in this binding agreement and have a contract like when you buy a house or start a job you have a contract but Abraham fell asleep and so God went ahead and walked through it all by himself saying, this promise is on me. Abraham, I am the keeper of promises. I am the covenant keeper. Now we're kind of in a spot like Abraham. We've received God's blessing. We've heard God's voice. We've been following God's leading. We've stayed patient a long time. We've had a lot of prayers and we've had a lot of unanswered questions heading into the future. But just think about what you know that Abraham didn't know. He and his wife had a baby. They had to wait another, about another 20, 25 years until it was really a miracle baby when Sarah was 90 and Abraham was turning 100. And they named the baby Laughter. 
because they had laughed when God had told them the news. Oh, that's next week. And then God gave the land, and Abraham's descendants are still fighting over it to this day. And God used Abraham's family to bless all the families of the world as they went uh, down the, through the, the generations, and then all the kings, and then off into uh, captivity, and finally back into the land. And then along came one of the descendants who was born in Nazareth. His name was Jesus. And he wasn't just from the line of Abraham or the line of David. He was the Son of God. God come in human flesh, came into this world lived and died as the sacrificial lamb to atone for sin, rose from the dead to become the King of kings and Lord of lords. God keeps His promises, Abraham. God keeps His promises, South Shores. God is doing the work. God is the one guaranteeing that His work and His will will be fulfilled in this world. And God's looking for human beings who will trust Him and team up with Him to do the impossible. God loves doing the impossible through people like Abraham like us, people who believe even when they can't see all the details, people who hear God's voice, they don't see God, but they, God spells out his vision and you say, I obey, and you simply begin to move the right direction in faith. Now we're going to celebrate the Lord's table in just a couple of moments where Jesus, as the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, said, I am your Savior. It's interesting, I didn't finish reading that verse, but when Melchizedek came out to refresh Abraham and the troops, he brought bread and wine. He's called a, 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 a picture of the coming Son of Man. And... Jesus is the fulfillment. There's one more prayer of Abraham that I just want to touch on. It's not even in your notes. This is for free. You can read it later, but let me set the scene. It's in Genesis 18, and Abraham is sitting in the shade outside of his tent in the heat of the day, and three men show up, which caused Abraham to get up, run toward them, and address them as the Lord. Kind of makes you wonder who those three are, doesn't it? He invited them to a meal and then a conversation with them, basically, once again, underlining the promise of a child coming through Sarah, and it would happen the next year. And then as they were leaving, and I'm going to jump down a little bit in the notes, but it says, as they turned, they were going to leave, and the Lord said, I am going down to Sodom because I have an outcry from there of the sin is so great. I'm going to go down and see if the story's true. And if it is, I, I'm, I'm going to remove that city from the face of the earth. And it says, as the men turned to go towards Sodom, verse 22 of Genesis 18, Abraham stood before the Lord. And I envision all three walking. Abraham's kind of keeps standing in front of the Lord. But what about, but what about, but what about? Because his nephew, loser Lot, has moved down there into Sodom and is now in harm's way. And Abraham says to the Lord when he hears this news, because he knows that God already knows what's happening in Sodom. God knows what's happening in Sodom. He knew what was happening in Gomorrah. He knows what's happening in Dana Point. He knows what's happening in your home. He knows what's happening in your heart. Are you a person of faith? Are you somebody who's praying, God, what do you want to do with me? God already knows. So Abraham knows that God's going to go down there and what he's going to find. And so Abraham stands there in front of God and says, would you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? God, he's asking, will you be fair? Can we trust God to be fair? Fair and beyond. I mean, then they have this, this, uh, this uh, uh, bargaining, chiniki they call it in Africa, where they're, they're bargaining back and forth. Abraham says, will you, would you destroy that city if there's 50 righteous? God says, no. So what about 45? How about 40? 
If there's only 30, would you destroy it? No. What about 20? Okay, how about 10? Abraham worked God all the way down to 10. God's still headed for Sodom. See, Abraham is caring about those he loves that live in Sodom. And God cares even more for those he loves who live in sin in this world. And he loves and he loves and he loves and he has offered himself as the sacrifice because of his love. And yet there are limits because sin is so offensive to God, it destroys relationships. And Abraham's wondering, would God be fair? And the answer is always yes, fair and beyond. There were not 10 righteous people in Sodom. And God removed the city from the earth because sin is serious with God. And it's still serious with him. So he's provided a way for us to be right with him because of Jesus and his sinless sacrifice. God loves to do the impossible through people like Abraham, people like you, people like me, people who choose to believe, who hear God's voice and then walk with him in obedience, even when everything doesn't appear to be perfect or all set or guaranteed or slam dunk. They hear God's voice, God spells out his vision, and then People move forward in obedience and faith, and then they pray, God, help me. God, what's taking so long? God, are you still God? Will you be fair? And God comes and reassures us. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is demonstrated in your weakness. Just trust me. Abraham wonders, will God be fair? Does God have his, my future in his hands? Can I trust him? And the answer is yes. Moving forward with God will always be scary, but God is with us. So just keep walking with God. Keep listening to his voice. Keep coming to him in prayer. Keep asking the hard questions and keep walking with him. Keep serving him. Keep being generous. Just be like Abraham. Just get in step with God. Let's pray and come to his table. Dear Jesus, thank you that you were there with Abraham, wanting to call people to righteousness. Thank you that you were there walking with him, saying, will you walk by faith? Thank you that as the animals were divided between the two, God, you walked through. You obligated yourself to be a God of integrity and honesty, a God who would fulfill his promises to us even when they seem impossible. And so we gather at this table where we receive the, the bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus. We receive the cup which reminds us of your blood that was shed for us. And we say thank you because you are still fulfilling your promise to draw all men, women, boys, and girls to yourself. And you use us to tell that good news. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We love you. Now, even as we receive these elements, may we be reminded that Jesus is alive in us. God, what do you want to do with me? The answer is yes. Amen.